Well, welcome to week three in our journey, trying to figure out how to swim to the side of the fast flowing river of culture that we find ourselves in right now. And this culture, I think, is speeding up to dangerous speeds. And if, you, if this is the first time you've watched the message, I'd encourage you, when you get a chance, hop online and listen to my previous messages. I think that'll help set you up to understand where we're going on this journey. But you know, in this world we live in, all of us can sense this compression of time. Everyone I talk to is busy or, you know, struggling or haven't got time for this, haven't got time for that. We can all sense it, but not all of us are really in a place where we're wanting to do something about it. Even in my own personal world, I can sense that my fabric starting to stretch, and I'm sure you can too. Maybe you haven't got the language around it, or perhaps you've got no idea what to do about it. But you know, in my role as pastor, I see our culture, the speed of our culture having massive impact on people's lives, on families, on, on marriages, on people's mental health, on people's emotional levels and their strain and their, their spiritual growth. It's all having an impact. And so in the midst of the hustle and hurry of this world, Jesus extends to you and me an invitation to live a better way. It says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, which is the core passage for the series we're doing. Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now we need to remember a yoke is more than just an agricultural term. A yoke is also a set of biblical teaching and application that a rabbi would instruct his followers to live by, their rule of life. And so Jesus is offering his disciples a better way to live. And as we listen to the words of Jesus, I'm sure all of us as Christians would hear the words from Jesus and go, you know, that's exactly what I want. I want rest. I want rest for my soul. I want rest for my family. I want rest for my situation that I find myself in. But, but for many of us, including me, we struggle to find that place or to, or to keep ourselves in that place. So as a church, we are on a journey to look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Or a better term that we've talked about is being an apprentice of Jesus. Now, in order to be an apprentice of Jesus, we need to order our life around three goals. The first one is to be with Jesus. The second one is to become like Jesus. And the third one is to do what Jesus did. And so that's pretty much a roadmap for our Sunday services over the next few, while, uh, few weeks. Uh, this week and next week, which is our celebration service, we're going to dig around a little bit what it means to be with Jesus. After that, we're going to explore what it means to become like Jesus. And then I'm sure you can figure it out. After that, we'll spend some time exploring what it means to do what Jesus did. And by then, do you know what? We'll be so close to Christmas. I know that's freaky, but that's instead of us talking about being with Jesus Christmas, we'll talk about Jesus being with us, becoming like us. And so... And then as we kick into next year, we're going to dig deeper as a church family in our satellite groups, in our small groups. We're going to focus on how we can really apply these things to living in Newcastle in 2020. So this morning we are going to explore what it means to be with Jesus. Back to our core verses in the message translation, Jesus says, I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says. He says, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make a I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely 
and lightly. I want you to, to pick up five thoughts here. Jesus says, come to me, get away with me, walk with me, work with me, keep company with me. Can you see a trend here? Can you see something Jesus is trying to, uh, and something he's trying to drive home, so a comment he's trying to show us. There's a key here. Let's go to John chapter 1, verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and said, Look, there is the Lamb of God. And when John, John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Well, that's a bit unfair on John, but let's follow it. Let's, let's listen to keep reading. So Jesus looked around and saw them following and he said, what do you want? He asked, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon and they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Now, if you read the next few verses, you'll see how Jesus talks Philip and Nathaniel and Simon Peter, and he tells them all to follow him. But I want you to notice what he says in these verses to what, what who would become his would-be disciples. He would say to them, come and see. Come and, and spend time with me. Come and check out where I live. Come and check out the place where I walk. Come and check out the market that I go to and the, and the, synagogue, go to, uh, the synagogue I go to. He says to his would-be disciples, he goes, come and spend time with me. Come and be with me. Come and hang out with me. And what a great invitation Jesus gives, not only to them, he gives us the same invitation. He says, hey guys, will you just come with me? Come and see, come and learn, come and discover all that I am. And so the question we are exploring today is how do we actually do that? Unlike those first disciples, we can't actually come and see. We can't actually go to a physical Jesus and hang out with a physical Jesus. And now Jesus knew that he wouldn't be around forever. And so as he prepared for the cross to leave his disciples, he would say in John chapter 14, talking to his disciples, he says, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and will later be in you. That's an amazing truth. He, currently, Jesus is living with his disciples now, but later he would be in them. Down to verse 25. I am telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representatives, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. You know, here Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the word that is used here, translated in the New Living Translation, is the advocate, another advocate, another translation would say another helper. Effectively, Jesus is saying, I'm going to ask the Father and he will send someone who is just like me. He's going to send someone who is uh, similar to me. And so Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And so according to what Jesus says to his disciples, he says the way that you and I can be with him today, right now, is through his Holy Spirit. Now, last week we talked about how we need to learn to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no formula there. Mark, how do I live in constant state and awareness to the Holy Spirit? Now, I said there's no formula, but if there was a formula, 
I reckon the first one will be just come and hang out with Jesus. Come and hang out with him. Come and come and be with him. And so John, in the next chapter, John goes on to talk about another concept that you're probably familiar with if you've been in church for a while. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy, great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey in my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in in his love. You know, there is so much content in those verses of scripture, so much depth to what Jesus is teaching here. And I just want to, I want to share just a simple thought that we can pull out of this passage, because I think it's something that Jesus is, is emphasizing that he wants us to hear today. Now, Jesus is just using an illustration about a vine being um, connected to a branch. Yeah, a, a grapevine is the example. And obviously, if the branch if the vine's disconnected from the branch, it's, it cannot produce fruit. It'll effect, effectively wither up and die. There's no nutrients coming from the branch, which is the father, to the or him, uh, to the vine, which is us. And so what I want to talk about is a word that Jesus uses 10 times in seven verses. 10 times he uses one word. The Greek word is meno, but uh, any guesses to what the, the word in our English translation say? Any guesses? Some of you got it. It says remain or abide, depending on your translation. It means to be present. It means to be connected. So Jesus is saying here, and he says it seven times because he wants us to get it. He's saying to us, hey guys, you need to get into the Father's presence and stay there. Remain there. Don't don't rush off. Don't don't get distracted. And I know it's so easy in today's world to get distracted. Don't change channels. Don't 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 leave when just because you've you've done your thing and you're going to move on. What Jesus is not saying here. Jesus is not saying I want you to go lock your lock yourself in a monastery and gaze at your belly button all day. That's not what he's saying. Yeah, you know, I've heard someone describe it like this. Uh, to remain with Jesus or abide in Jesus, it's like learning to be in two places at once. You know, having breakfast at home and in the Father's presence. You know, aware of the Father's presence, enjoying the Father's presence, having communion and with Him and, and communication with Him. It's being at the gym and in the Father's presence. It's, being, it's while you're driving the kids to school and being in the Father's presence. It's in the waiting room at the hospital and, and, and being in the Father's presence. Or it's in the freezer aisle at the supermarket and it's being in the Father's presence. You know, from a theological point of view, we can probably make sense with that. We know that God is everywhere. The psalmist would say, where can I go from your presence? I, I cannot escape your presence. And so 
We know that God is everywhere. The theological word we often come across as the word is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And therefore, because of that, God's at the gym, God's at the school, and God's in the discount ice cream section at the supermarket. But you know, it's more than a theological point that Jesus is making, talking about remaining in him. It's something we can actually experience. In the 15th century in Paris, there was a soldier by the name of Nicolas Hermann. Now he ended up leaving the war and he joined a monastery where he worked in the kitchen as a dishwasher, as a cook, and as a sandal repairer. Now he's better known as Brother Lawrence. And he's largely remembered for a set of writings he did and notes that he recorded that were eventually compiled into a little book that was called The Practice of the Presence of God. Here's a powerful quote from his writings. He says, The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clutter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God and it's a greater tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. Now, if you were a 15th century monk, which I don't think any of you are, the most sacred moment in your day is at six o'clock when you have your time of solitude and prayer, when you come before the Lord in close intimacy, participating in what they would call a sacrament, what we would typically call a form of communion, where your intimacy and closeness with God is so real. And so what Brother Lawrence is saying here, he is saying, you know, it's great to be with God at six o'clock in the morning when all is quiet and I can sense that great sense of communion and peace. But he says it's no different at 6am than it is in the clash and the clatter of the kitchen. It's no different when there's 30 hungry monks knocking at the door wanting their lentil stew and their eggs and their whatever monks ate in the 15th century. It's no different if your kids are demanding your time. It's no different if you've got to get your shopping done before the rain comes in. You know, we can experience God's presence and God's peace wherever we are at. You know, Brother Lawrence, he knew how to be with Jesus on his knees or kneading bread in the kitchen. And he knew how to experience Jesus in the everyday moments of life. He, he tells us and shows us that there is no difference between the spiritual and the secular. He understood what it was to be in two places at once. So we, we can experience God in a monastery and we can experience God behind a microscope. You know, I, I read Brother Lawrence's teaching and I, I long for that type of relationship that he had with the Holy Spirit. But I want you to note something. He called it the practice of the presence of God. It is something that he practiced and he worked on for his whole life. And it's likely going to be the same for you and me. It will take time for us to learn how to redirect our mind, how to redirect our attention toward God. It will take practice. Practice to stop getting distracted by all the other things that demand our attention. And they're not always bad things. It could be um, our kids or our family or our work. But there's a lot of things that distract us from being fully consumed by the things of God. And so the point is, the, the, for us to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Holy Spirit, connection to the presence of Jesus, that takes practice. It takes us a lifetime. For Brother Lawrence, he literally devoted his life to it. And it just doesn't happen the moment we become a Christian, all of a sudden we're aware 
of God's presence with us. In fact, it's really hard, and I'm sure you understand, for us to instantly switch off from our work, our emails, our kids, our commitments. In fact, we really need to be intentional to develop good habits and skills that can help increase our ability to be present with Jesus. Not, not sort of loosely connected to Jesus while you're Googling or watching Netflix. Or We're talking about understanding we are present with him and mindful of him. And so another, another quote I'd like to read by an author by the name William Paulsell. This is a great quote. He says, It is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or a haphazard manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization in our own lives. But there's nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of our daily lives. Isn't that a great quote? Now, in the weeks ahead, we as a church, we're going to look at what intentional commitment can look like. We're going to explore what we can know as, as spiritual disciplines or, or spiritual habits. We're, we're going to look how Jesus lived in, in his time and his day. Now, things like prayer, things like fasting, things like Bible reading, things like rest and, and, and work and solitude, all those things are spiritual disciplines. And if you read through the life of Jesus, he actively participated in them, not out of duty, not out of religion, because that is how he remained connected, or how he abided in the Father. And so before any of you freak out and think, oh, no, Mark's going to go all heavy on us, you know, the spiritual disciplines and these practices, they are not the end. They are not the goal. The goal ultimately is to be with Jesus. So they're not a tick list. These things don't make you a disciple. You don't get any bonus points in heaven if you've prayed and if you've fasted, if you've done all those things. We need to remember that we are already in intimate, close, beautiful relationship with God through Jesus. So these things aren't a set of rules. They are a practical attempt for us to align our hearts, our minds and our bodies to be with Jesus. All of the spiritual disciplines are the are practices that will bring us closer to the Lord. And ultimately, that's the first goal of discipleship, to be with Jesus. Now, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about being with Jesus. But for today, I want my end point to be your starting point. And that is for us to simply learn to be present with God, practicing his presence, learning how we can tune our mind and our heart and our imagination to all that he is all that he is and so one practical thing for you this week i'd encourage you intentionally stop somewhere each day not in your car but just stop your heart stop your mind stop your busy your your busy life and just recognize you know what jesus is right here he's right with me in this kitchen he's right with me at school or at the hospital he's right with me at the coffee shop or at the gym and i, I want you to encourage you if you're in need for anything if you're in need of wisdom or if you're in need of creativity, you're needing um, wisdom, I've said wisdom, um, rest or guidance, whatever you need can be found in Jesus. Now, you could stop for a minute, you could stop for 10 minutes. I want to encourage you, stay there. Don't run off. Don't, don't attend to your next thing on your list until you receive what Jesus has for you in that moment. And I know you'll be surprised at the outcome. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you did return to heaven and you sent your Holy Spirit to dwell in us and to be with us and to represent you to us. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit will teach us all that you said and did and will, your Holy Spirit will help us to apply your teaching to us at school or at work or at home, wherever that we are. And so, Lord, I pray for our church family this week that you'll help us to practice your presence. You'll help us to be aware of your presence with us wherever we are, kayaking or swimming or running or walking or working, that you are there with us. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to pause long enough to truly experience you and be able to receive the peace that you have for us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's about it from me today. I am looking forward to sharing the rest of how we can be with Jesus with you at our next service. And so have a great week. God bless.